we're going to answer this question, who is the Holy Spirit, with He is our intercessor. And we look into our passage as we've read already, and you can see the connectivity of the thoughts and the groundwork that's laid with the theology. There's so many things that are taught to us here in our passage about the Holy Spirit, and they form our belief system about the Holy Spirit. And while we can't comprehensively deal with all of those aspects, some of them will come up in our study at at later times. But today we want to focus on what is connected to, to the Holy Spirit being our intercessor. There are times, maybe more times than not, that we find ourselves in a position of what we read about later in our passage of of really not knowing maybe what to pray or how to pray. Anybody been there? Right? Maybe this week, right? Maybe we were there this, maybe this morning. We just didn't know how to pray or even what to pray. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, but I don't think that the Holy Spirit's ministry of intercession is restrained to just those events. I I think what we have described here for us is that we have a consistent and constant prayer warrior who knows the perfect will of God and who always prays according to that will for us. It's not just like a 911 situation, but the Holy Spirit of God continually indwells, as this passage teaches and others, every believer, and He is constantly working on our behalf to intercede, not just when we feel the desperation or the hopelessness or the helplessness, but He is there constantly engaged in this ministry for us on our behalf. And there are things that are tied to that that I think amplify an understanding of of what is going on as he prays according to the will of God, and God is working in every situation for our good. We're going to talk about what that means this morning. The Holy Spirit is always praying according to that good purpose that God has in every situation. Even if we think we know what we should pray for, the Holy Spirit's still praying, still interceding, still ministering in that way. If we think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get a hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of Him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of me and use me? This perspective of the Holy Spirit allows us to rest peacefully in His ability to pray for us when we don't know what to pray and at all other times. We resign ourselves to the outcome because we are convinced that He will perfectly pray and the Father will sovereignly answer. This removes the anxiety and fear from prayer and life. We, we look at these things and we understand that the Spirit is involved in in, in this ministry for us. And we, we remember passages like what Paul wrote, that we're not supposed to let anxiety rule in our heart and in our life. And often we find ourselves in those anxious moments, don't we? And, and we see and we understand the desperation and the helplessness, maybe even we feel hopeless. We don't know what to pray often in those situations. And what are we told, especially in that passage by Paul? It is through prayer, the the discipline and the practice of prayer, that we are able to be released from the anxieties that are so often attached to the events of life for us. 
And alongside of us is that comforter of the same kind as Jesus who, who is praying for us and with us according to the perfect will of God. Now, as a result, we are assured that all of these things are meant for our good. The good is our own spiritual growth in and through every circumstance, even the most perplexing ones. You see the quote from Packer here. You see the Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give thrills, but to create in us Christ-like character. So how do we view the Holy Spirit today? What, what forms what we believe? You know, there are a lot of things around us today in, in the noise of the organized church, I'll just call it that, that want us to think of the Holy Spirit as something that kind of brings the thrill to Christianity, right? Well, He's the one that, that gives us all these marvelous, miraculous gifts, and you have thousands upon thousands of people who will worship together today, and their whole focus is on the thrill of the Spirit. And in many cases, they're, they're misunderstanding Scripture, and they're misinterpreting Scripture, and misapplying Scripture, and their whole focus is on the thrill, the thrill that the Spirit gives, or the thrill that they can experience, and it becomes a very self-focused thing. The Holy Spirit wasn't given to us to thrill us or to give us some superficial feeling that nobody really knows much about and can't define and really can't tell you how to get. He's a part of the Godhead. He is, he is a person who has been given to us and placed inside of us not to thrill us, but to create in us Christ-like character as He prompts us and convicts us of sin and causes us to understand through illumination the rich treasures of the Word of God, and also coming alongside of us to pray for us, to intercede on our behalf according to the perfect will of the Father every time, all the time. That's the true treasure of the Holy Spirit. Don't reduce it to something temporal that God never intended for it to be. It's not about the thrill. It's about the growth process that the Holy Spirit helps us with in every way. A proper understanding of Romans 8, especially verses 22 to 27, will only come with a proper understanding, I think, of prayer because we're talking about ourselves in the passage as far as praying and not knowing what to pray, and we're also talking about the Spirit interceding on our behalf. So we have to understand prayer, I think, to fully understand what's happening in this ministry of intercession. Prayer is God's classroom in which all believers sit to learn more of God's purposes and plans and to learn more about faith and humility. I firmly believe that prayer is not for God, it's for the believer. God doesn't need prayer. He doesn't need to be informed of anything, does He? Doesn't He already know it? But He invites us into prayer language and to, to speak with Him and fellowship with Him, not for His good or benefit, but for ours. It is a classroom into which each believer must enter with no preconceived ideas or non-negotiable expectations. Are we ever guilty of this? Do we go in prayer to God with preconceived ideas and non-negotiable expectations? 
God, this is what I understand to be happening around me. This is my preconceived idea, and this is my non-negotiable expectation. I want you to do this. Now, it's not wrong to request things from God, but none of those things should be non-negotiable. We should be okay if God messes with our expectations. That is bound to happen because of the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is perfectly praying all the time, every time, according to the sovereign will of God, His good purpose for us. And often we don't know what that is. We may think we know, but often we don't. And if we come to the table, enter our prayer closet with non-negotiable expectations, we are not going to be satisfied especially if we make an idol out of our non-negotiable expectation. Think about that. We must come with humility. We must come with submission. We must come with faith while we rest in the eternal purposes of God that His Holy Spirit cooperates with and prays according to for us. It is a classroom into which all believers must enter with humble hearts totally dependent on God while being decisively okay with whatever God gives as his answers and whenever he gives them. Do you always like the answers that God gives you? You always like those answers? No. No. We don't always like them, do we? But God's giving them, and the Spirit of God has been praying according to those answers and desires of God the whole time. And God answers accordingly to His sovereign will. Do we always like when God answers us? Boy, wouldn't we like all of those answers right now? Right now, right? God, just answer this prayer, right? And He doesn't. And, and, and maybe He's saying no, but maybe He's saying wait too, right? And we don't always know the difference until we get further down the road. And we see what God's plan or purpose was. And some of these things we'll never know, I don't think, until we know the heart of God <coughs> in eternity. We don't always like when he answers. I remember, as I've shared with you before, praying for one of my grandfathers, my dad's dad, for years, for years as a child. And finally, nine months before he passes from this world through death, he trusts Jesus. God did not answer that prayer when I wanted him to. Did not. Did not answer that prayer. But I believe he answered it according to his sovereign will and his sovereign plan. And I don't know all the ins and outs or details or whys or why nots in that, but I need to trust the sovereign God with his answer in that situation. I need to be decisively okay with whatever God gives as his answers and whenever he gives them. Because he has a will according to which the Holy Spirit is praying and I need to be okay with whatever that is. I won't enjoy or cooperate with this ministry of intercession until I get there. I just won't. This ability comes from a belief that God will only answer according to what is absolutely best, which is causing us to be transformed into His image. It is absolutely best for that cause. And I need to rest in that, accept that, believe that, cooperate with that. So with this framework, I want to study this morning what our text teaches about the Holy Spirit's intercessory prayer ministry for us as believers. And there are several thoughts here that we'll look at in in highlight form. And the first thing that I want us to see is that this intercessory ministry is for all 
believers, and it is made possible through Jesus and his finished work on the cross. It, it, we're, we're clear in our text that if we have the Spirit of God in us, then truly we are children of God. We're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can cry, Abba, Father, to our Father. All of those are benefits. And this ministry is not uh, just given to a few believers. As we read through the context, it seems clear that it's comprehensive, that all believers who have the Holy Spirit can enjoy this ministry. It's something that is there, that is happening, that we don't control in any way or cause to happen, but that God just gives to us. So it's for all believers, and it, it is as a result of the fact that we are now no longer under condemnation, as verse 1 of our text chapter tells us, we are in Christ Jesus, and we have this Spirit through Jesus Christ. Truly a wonderful blessing that everyone here has ongoing for themselves, and in that awareness we must embrace it and cooperate with it and not fight against it. We are living in a broken world. We sang a song that reminded us of that brokenness, and the answer for the brokenness for everyone is revealed in the opening verses of our text that Jesus died and his death on the cross means that those who believe are now no longer under condemnation and they can enjoy this beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 22 of our, of our chapter, chapter 8, it talks about all of creation groaning. We are groaning. Creation is groaning. Why? Because we're broken. And we're eagerly anticipating and waiting for the day when all of that brokenness is healed. And in the meantime, we have this ministry of the Spirit that is praying according to the good purposes of God for us. And we need to rest in that and cooperate with that and project that to a world who is also desperate, hopeless, not helpless, or really hopeless, but without Jesus they are. So we project things as we relate to our God and the Holy Spirit. You see, a world is watching. Different parts of that world are watching us in particular. The whole world can't see us in, in, in particular, but different pieces of the world, the, the people with whom we relate and who know us. And we need to be projecting this as a true reality from our hearts that that we have the Holy Spirit in us and that we are truly embracing this ministry and that we are okay with whatever God does according to his good purposes in our life. We should be the most satisfied people on the planet. We should be the most joyful people on the planet because we embrace this theology and we live it out as believers. And no believer is exempt because we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing I want us to see. This intercessory ministry is possible because the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. We are told that in the following verses from the first paragraph that we just looked at, verses 9 through 11, tell us that the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. This the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. Those who believe, who are truly God's children, have this presence. 
I don't know that we fully understand every aspect about that. But we have this spirit who is bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It enables us to relate in a, in a personal and intimate way to our Father by calling Him Abba, a term of endearment. A transcendent God wants to relate to us on, a, on our level and in a very personal way, and He does so through the Holy Spirit that indwells each of us. So every believer, again, has this indwelling presence and as a result has this intercessory ministry that we need to cooperate with and enjoy, not fight, not fight or, or allow pride to develop and wish that things were different. Now, here's a third thing I want to share is that this intercessory ministry is enjoyed to the fullest then. If we believe that this Spirit of God is in us, that, that we have the intercessory ministry as a believer, and that that Spirit is in each of us who believe, and that that Spirit is praying according to the good purposes of God for us as an individual, then what do we do with that? We enjoy it to the fullest if we submit. I want you to run down to verse 14 in our text. Look at verse 14. We see that that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness and that we are able to cry, Abba, Father. That's, that's there in verse 15. Look at verse 17 with me. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. And this just rolls right into the next verses, verses 18 down to verse 25, which talk about the Spirit when when, of course, praying for us, we don't know what to pray. The Spirit of God's praying for us and ministering to us and praying according to the good purposes. All this in the context of, of suffering as the Spirit prays during those times and I believe at all other times as well. So what do we do with that? We have to submit to that if we're going to cooperate with the process and enjoy it, to share in His sufferings. Paul talked about it, didn't he? In, in other places, he, he talked about it in this way, that he wanted to know that power of the resurrection, but he also said he wanted to know in, in an experiential way, not just know about, but actually live and have as a part of who he was, his own human experience. In that way, he wanted to know what? The fellowship of Christ's suffering. In those moments as we fellowship with the sufferings of Christ, we have some decisions to make. We can get caught up in focusing on escaping all of that, or we can get caught up in cooperating with the good purposes of God in all of that, which is what the remainder of our passage talks about that we'll see in closing, verses 26 through 30. We, we have that choice at that moment. We have this Holy Spirit in us praying according to God's purposes, and what are we going to do with that when it hurts? When we truly connect with the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus, what is our deepest desire in those moments? Paul said, I want to know about that. I want to know about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. I want to identify with Jesus and suffer so that I understand what that is and so that it can have the, the refining effect on me for which God intended and made me. 
And I'm okay with that. I'm okay to be taken through that valley and to fellowship in that valley with the sufferings of Jesus because I know that if it's happening to me, that it is the will of the Father. And I also know I have this dedicated prayer warrior who is praying according to that good purpose for me, even when I don't know what to pray myself. Do we submit to that or do we fight that? I have challenged you before and, and we'll do it more as we will today, to really analyze your prayer life about these things as they happen and as events unfold. And while I don't believe that it's wrong to pray that God will relieve pain or heal or, or provide for an escape, I don't think that ought to be our primary focus. I think we ought to get on board with the purposes of God and all of those things as we fellowship with the sufferings of Jesus, that we would just lay it out there and say, identify for me, please identify for me the growth steps that I need to take so that I can experience to the fullest the good purposes of God and cooperate with them and not fight against them or focus on something else that is not nearly as important. It's not that we go around asking for or looking for suffering, but we all know it comes. And we ought to be willing to fellowship with Jesus in the suffering and cooperate with the purpose of the Father instead of spending most of our time trying to figure out how to escape it or begging God to allow us to escape it when really He has us in His classroom trying to grow us. We must be careful with this and we must be quick to submit to this ministry, knowing the Spirit is praying in this way, that's how we, I think, enjoy it to the fullest and cooperate with it, even when it hurts. Doesn't it seem funny to talk about enjoying something that might hurt us? Yes, but that is the reality of the journey that we are on. Often we find ourselves there, and we must enjoy the fact that God is working His good purpose out, even if it hurts. We may not enjoy the pain, but we can enjoy the process by which God is growing and refining us if we keep the proper perspective. So, if this is true, then the intercessory ministry of the Spirit is understood best when believers have a proper understanding of suffering. It's not something to be fought against. It's not something necessarily to escape because God will all put us in painful situations for as long as He wants us to be there. What does Paul say here about this suffering? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I wrote the word eternity down here under this point. Eternity. I must stay focused on eternal things and realize that something better is coming. I hope we all understand that it's not for us to find and try to live out our best life now because life right now sometimes just really stinks. And you know what? God designs it that way. He brings from our perspective, stinky things into our life. He says, you're going to go through this. You can endure this. I'm going to grow you in this, but it's not going to be fun. And there's a huge philosophy of life today that says, we have to learn how to find out how to avoid all of those things and just do the things that are enjoyable for us for our own satisfaction. And that's what God wants for us now. That is not the Christian life. 
It was not the Christian life for the apostles. It was not the Christian life for the Old Testament believers and saints. And it isn't the Christian life now. Our perspective is to be focused on eternity, that what we are experiencing now is for the here and now, but there's coming a day, a glorious day, that these things that are so painful are not even worthy to be compared to, the glory that awaits the believer in heaven when he's with God. And everything that is happening here is growing us for that day of glorification, eternity. Don't lose sight of eternity when you are in the valley, in the crucible, in the painful situation, through which and for which the Holy Spirit of God is praying perfectly according to the good purpose of God for you all the time, eternity. The other thing I want to share with you, I wrote the word temporal down or temporary. The suffering that we have right now is not worthy to be compared with the glory, but thank God it's temporary. There is an expiration date on all suffering. Some of us will experience some kind of relief in this life from certain suffering. It does come to us, doesn't it? Sometimes it doesn't. There will be some of us who will suffer all the way up until the day that we die with whatever it is God's given us to suffer with and through. But even those things that are perpetual, even those things that are chronic to us, they're still temporary. Because there is coming a day when all of those things will be gone and we will be glorified and perfect before the Father. No pain, no suffering, no sin, no sorrow, no more loss. We're with God, perfected. Don't lose sight of that. What you are being called to endure now according to the good purpose of God is temporary. It will be relieved. It may not be relieved in the here and now, but there is a day of relief coming and we must focus, the third word I write here is growth. In suffering, there is supposed to be growth. God is refining us and God is bringing us into this so that we can be brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We are growing toward that glory with every step that we take. The final thing that we'll share and we'll close is this, that this intercessory ministry is perfect and believers must rest in God through it all even when life is most perplexing. The perplexities of life are no excuse for unfaithfulness or giving up or walking away or rebelling against this process, wishing it were different, investing all of our time in praying against the process and instead of cooperating with the process and taking steps of growth. I need to rest in it, not fight it, even at the most perplexing moments. Look with me at verse 26 and, and following. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I do not pretend to know what that means. I don't know what that means. Wordless groans. I do not know what that means. Some people think that it, it is the Spirit of God allowing the, the, the children of God to, to groan to the Father. Some people connect this groaning to, to the believer, that he's groaning or that she is groaning. Others say, no, it's not the believer groaning, but it's the Spirit of God who, who groans before the Father with these wordless groans to communicate 
the depth of the pain and perplexity of, of the child who's going through the suffering, and somehow that communicates to the Father in a way that is understood and is according to His perfect will. It's interesting to read and study that. I, I don't know that I figured all of that out. I certainly, I certainly don't understand wordless groans. I, if the Spirit is uttering that, it's something that I've never heard. I don't know what that is. I really don't know what that is in His essence. But even with the unanswered questions of the text, as we have with, with many texts in Scripture, we, we trust God by faith that this is the process that He has defined, and it must be what is absolutely best for us. So He is interceding for God's people in accordance with the will of God, the end of verse 27. Then we get to verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Resting in God through it all, even when life is perplexing. Now, we have an interesting phrase here that is often misunderstood and misapplied that God works for the good of those who love Him. Be careful how you define good. Good is what the text continues to lay out for us in verses 29 and 30. The good that God desires is not something materialistic or temporal that God gives to us. It's not a change of circumstances that God would give to us. The good that He gives to us is the growth process, the being conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn and so on. And He, he caps off our predestination and our justification and our sanctification in this passage as well. But be careful how you define good because that will determine, I think, how you understand everything in this particular passage. The good is what? The good purpose of God, which is our growth becoming like Jesus. That is why these things happen. And in all of that, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, praying for us that we would grow, that we would be found faithful through it all, that we would endure and embrace the good purpose and cooperate with the good purpose as God intends. So don't fight against these things. Don't let your prayer life reflect resistance or even rebellion against the good purpose of God because it isn't always that God would change our circumstances. In fact, rarely does that happen. He calls us to go through those circumstances that He might be glorified, that we might project that glory to a world that needs to see it so that they too will trust and receive Jesus and know this life to which we are called. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is our great intercessor. I think that the intercessory ministry of the Spirit is connected to these things, and I offer them to you as teaching on the Holy Spirit, but also as a challenge to us to make sure that we live life this way, even when it's painful, even when it's hard, even when it is difficult. And I challenge all of us to consider it, to apply it to our lives, and to live it out in a way that brings glory to our Father. Can we pause a moment for prayer together? Father, thank you 
for the Holy Spirit and thank you for how he relates to us and prays for us. We, we have nothing to be afraid of this morning. We have every reason to be confident and satisfied and joyful in you. Help us to see that, to rest in that, even if we are in the most difficult time we've ever faced, the most painful suffering we've ever felt. Help us to rest in this ministry of the Spirit, to trust it, to cooperate with it, to show others this work in us. Thank you for the examples that we've had of this in our own family, and help us to be that example to others for your glory. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus, amen.